The Evolved Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Today's guest is Mike Bandair, who among other things is founding partner of Term Partners, a London-based startup studio. As a result, he has been involved in a lot of turnaround businesses and founded many businesses with his co-partner, James. These businesses include a scheduling tool for Instagram, a business playbook builder, a dating agency, and also an Enterprise Academy. And it is that Enterprise Academy which has also meant that he is focused on mentoring entrepreneurial development, particularly in developing countries. And again, we hear about that during the course of the podcast. In 2017, he was awarded the British Empire Medal for services to young entrepreneurs. And as you'll soon see, he's extremely passionate about enterprise and entrepreneurship and has a lot of things to say on the subject. In this podcast, Mike reflects on the advantages of turning to entrepreneurship at a young age. When you were younger, for those those who are in the fortunate privileged position to to, have a very supportive family home, the absolute loss when you're you're much younger is actually not too bad. So, so, So there's almost less to be fearful of discusses his ideas on lean methodology. What you actually do is instead of building the product to test it out, you do small experiments and tests to prove or disprove the assumptions that you have within that hypothesis in order to see whether or not there is that value there to be created. And talks about his experience of mentorship in the developing world and how this has shown him the power of entrepreneurship and enterprise. This is why I love the power of entrepreneurship. Because it, it, it shows you that it's about kind of pulling things together in different ways to create something new and to add value. Whether that be pulling things from a car and things from your kitchen to make dentist equipment, or whether that means writing code to create a dating site. Let's get on with the show. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Hi, Warren. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you as a guest. I'm interested and intrigued in a a different opening question to what I would normally ask. I noticed that in the summer of 2017, you were awarded a British Empire Medal in the Queen's Birthday Honours for services to young entrepreneurs. What a great honour. And that was an honour you received when you were still in your 20s, Mike. Yeah, I was. Uh, it was. It was truly overwhelming. I think you'll probably learn within five minutes of this on me. I'm. I'm. I'm not often lost for words, but that was probably the only time where I received that letter, and and I was truly overwhelmed, truly speechless. Of course, you had the uh, the, the initial questions of which friend is is pranking you with this, but it did turn out to be to be a legitimate letter. In the end. It was real, <laughs> fantastic. So tell me about more about what you'd achieved and what you'd done to that point to be awarded that spectacular honour, Mike? Sure. Well, I mean, what, what I think what was so fantastic about it from my perspective was often often when I see other people that get these honours in the Queen's birthday list and things like that, it feels like kind of life work and you think it's a true dedication and, and, and they've really focused on one form of charity or one form of, you know, kind of a power and impact that they're leaving in their life. And, and for me, I, I received that honour because of my kind of work and support for entrepreneurship, which in my head is is kind of my world, if you like. I kind of love, live, breathe, always want to talk about um, enterprise and entrepreneurship. And the honour was to recognise actually just that work. So in the years leading up to that, um, I'd, I'd run quite a few businesses, but I'd always spent probably too much of my time uh, just speaking with other founders and people just getting going and people who think they might want to start a business and slowly develop that into various different talks and then training courses and then continue to work with lots of different universities and incubators, accelerators, uh, which has actually evolved into a training business. But 
um, it, it, it was really a recognition of, of the support I, I had uh, given to, to young entrepreneurs over the years. Fantastic. So do you, with that kind of mindset and that you know passion, clearly, and we're going to come on to talk about that, your passion for innovation and entrepreneurship, do you think you're always destined to run your own business? I know you went to university, Ashton University in the West Midlands, but mm-hmm. coming out of university, was it always the desire to do something yeah. for yourself? Going into university, it was the desire. So I, um, I think I realised early on that I'm probably quite unemployable. So I think the one side of this is that entrepreneurship was probably my only option because I wouldn't <laughs> employ myself. So I don't know if anybody else was. But secondly, um, it kind of became more obvious when uh, I think I was about 13, and I remember I remember sitting in in my parents' car, uh, and I just drew a big spider diagram as we were taught at school. So of, of all the things that I could do, and, and it wasn't the normal kind of play with my friends or like play football or something like that. It was it was kind of buying and selling things or, or, or learning things or coming up with new marketing ideas to like to, to sell to my favorite companies and things like that. And, and it was all it was all kind of in the business world. It was all kind of focused on it was business and entrepreneurship before I even knew what it was. And I think I was drawn to that originally because. I was always amazed by the creation of things. I was always, I, I, I quite liked art. And sometimes I would think about like painting an amazing picture, but I just, I was useless. And I would look at amazing buildings and I think, oh, that'd be great to create that. But I just had no patience or means to do it. I would always break things apart and put them together. And, and when I discovered, and slowly over years, and still now learning more about enterprise and entrepreneurship, I kind of realized that that is my method of building. That is my way of creating, whether that be systems, whether that be, you know, a tech business or whatever. Um, so, so I feel like I feel like I was always destined to do that. We're, we're all we're all naturally drawn to the to, to creating or building or working in a certain way. And I think that I think that entrepreneurship in its broadest sense was was always the big pull for me. Brilliant. And it's interesting to hear what you say about that creativity and it it channeled that creative desire that you had in with you, even though you weren't traditionally, you know, as you say, in, you know, spectacular art and those kind of things. It, that uh, Somebody that was running their own business and, and is looking to achieve does need to be able to think differently, doesn't it? Needs to think creativity. But in your case, I'd imagine, therefore, it's combined with a sense of logic as well and structure. Yeah, I think that's. I think that actually is a character. I think actually logic and structure for me really really runs through because I, I think people enter business or entrepreneurship in two different ways, right? Sometimes people kind of think of things or, or think of structures in, in, in ways that are logical to business. So you look at a product and instead of thinking about the design of the packaging, you might think about the supply chain or, you know, and, and some people might think about things from a mathematical perspective, a scientific perspective. And and I think some people enter entrepreneurship from that building blocks of business is how they look at the world. And other people enter business from a deep domain understanding. So you might be absolutely excellent within a particular industry or at a particular product and then you look at creating the business around it, which is almost like the other way in. I don't really have a specialism in terms of industry, but I, I, I would like to think I've got quite good at understanding, particularly small to medium-sized businesses and, and how they work and how they can work and, and structures around that. So I think those two paths are, are, are your kind of common ways into entrepreneurship. And I think you t- typically find people who enter entrepreneurship and start businesses younger will go in a similar path as me. So so just loving business and exploring from that perspective, whereas the, the actually the majority of founders that that start businesses at an average age of about kind of 35, 40, um, they will typically go the other way when, when they, they come from a, a domain knowledge. Yeah, well, I think that, that, that I mean, I started Inspire. So, you know, business tax advisory firm at the age of 30, having come out of the big corporate. But yeah, I, I definitely fit into that camp. But then having Absolutely. done that, you know, it opened my eyes to other other things and opportunities and 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 a, and a different world, really. But you're right. I think those that get into 
business earlier, particularly as they leave university, do it from a different perspective. And I wonder whether that is indicative of a sense of a, that, that breeds a lack of fear in the younger entrepreneur. What qualities do you see as you sort of mentor and, and you work with some young entrepreneurs? What are the qualities that you think set them out and make them different? Yeah, good good point. And actually, I, I don't think I'd made that association before around the, the lack of fear. But I think I think I think it's actually based on some stuff, right? Because when you're younger, for those for those who are in the fortunate, privileged position to to you know have a very supportive family home, the like absolute loss when you're when you're much younger is actually not too bad. So 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 there's almost less to be fearful of. So I think joining really young enables people to to almost integrate that knowledge of or, or that that feeling of fifth fearlessness into entrepreneurship where that might be different later on um from a characteristic perspective i think persistence is a massive one and and i i i think it almost needs to be paired with another word probably probably kind of insightful persistence uh, and what i mean by that is Nothing ever goes the way you want it to go when you're starting a business, right? And everything takes 10 times longer and everything's going to make 10 times less the amount of money that you think it will make. And, and <laughs> I think that's when you're an established business and you come up with new ideas. Uh, that, I think that can apply to you. I think it's just business in general, right? And, and I think that having that persistence to kind of, well, I suppose it's, I suppose it's human resilience, isn't it? To, to, to yeah. keep on pushing and keep on pushing for something and therefore having that something that you believe or, or or kind of are pushing towards are the essential building blocks and the reason why i say insightful persistence or resilience is because it's almost not just gunning for the same thing to the point of kind of knocking your head against the brick wall it's actually learning and developing and changing and growing what you're doing and how you're doing it and, and I think that's a really critical part of entrepreneurship, which actually has become much more popular when you talk about the lean startup, for example. P- people talk about uh, rapid uh, prototyping and, and uh, continuous iteration about their products and their ideas. And, and that's the sort of language which which most early stage entrepreneurs are used to using now when, when, when we're talking about being this kind of insightful, persistent. It's a really interesting concept. It's it's similar and but applied in a different way. We had Tom Mercer from Mama uh, Foods on here three or four oh, weeks yeah. ago, and he he talked about passion v objectivity, which is the same kind of thing. Is you you might have a lot of passion for something, but you've still got to be objective, and yeah, you've got to be able to pivot, and you've got to be able to make the right decisions, and not just blindly kind of follow a an idea and a principle. And and I think, you know, in some ways that is definitely where you're reflecting on there. Certainly. And, and, I, and I feel like the media has a bit to answer for for this within entrepreneurship, because of course, entrepreneurship in the UK is very popular, very well discussed. It's, it's, it's positioned pretty well. Um, but it's mainly positioned through shows like, to, 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 to the majority of people, through shows like The Apprentice and Dragon's Den and things like that. And unfortunately, in those shows, sometimes the, the Apprentice seems to celebrate a breed of entrepreneurship, which actually isn't as representative in early stage entrepreneurship generally. So sometimes people are entering the business world and feel like they have to put on these, you know, sharp pinstripe suits and have to be sharks and have to, you know, go and be ruthless and, and get theirs. And And sometimes people who are have a real interesting natural style of entrepreneurship that that actually might enable them to be this kind of objective resilient is almost lost a bit because they're shaping themselves on on this other side and then equally when you look at other shows that kind of popularized entrepreneurship in in the last kind of decade if you like like dragon's den for example you you see businesses that have the founders have put everything into that business for years and years and years and years and years. And and quite often, sometimes the, the, the dragons are a bit ruthless at ripping that down, or sometimes even worse, kind of wanting 90% of what they've done for £10,000. And, and and I feel like, again, that I, I know I know that's the, that's the premise of the show, but I feel like the kind of sharp end of entrepreneurship in, in, in the media can, can often give people a slightly warped sense of what it's actually about. And, and potentially 
ward off or, or scare off quite a few real entrepreneurs that, that can that can create real game-changing businesses. Yeah, but I think that's the great thing about, you know, doing what you do and doing what I do. We work with all sorts of business owners, entrepreneurs, founders, and they come in all shapes and sizes and all different personality types. And yeah, that's, and, and then you're right. I don't think the media portrays that. The media likes to portray it as a kind of one size fits all. But actually, there's space for every kind of individual to succeed in, in their own world and in, in, and in their own entity and running their own business if they've got the passion and the focus and the belief in what they're going to do is my view mike yeah no i i do agree with that i do agree with that so turning to your own story and and where you are today so you you run a um an invest i'll, I'll call it an investment business i'll be interested to see what you call it called turn partners and you've developed quite an interesting portfolio of um businesses uh tell us more about turn partners mike Sure. So, yeah, I think um, you can describe term partners in lots of different ways, uh, and, and none of them quite feel right. The, the the thing that we used to describe term partners is actually a startup studio. So we actually focus on the acquisition and turnaround or creation of primarily digital businesses. So what that means is we will find a business that we, we kind of ask ourselves, what can we do better than the founding team? And we'll either acquire that or we will look at a business or, or, or look at an opportunity or challenge area that we know we can we can kind of put our our core team to to, to really have some some massive uh, positive impact. So within Town Partners, we actually have a few businesses and they're quite eclectic. They don't from the outside, they don't really follow a very core trend. We, we actually have a dating business, which is, uh, believe it or not, the UK's largest dating site for older women and younger men. Called Toy Boy Warehouse, which is a bit farmy. Oh, great name! Uh, is yeah, I mean it's it's very tongue in cheek. Definitely the one seal moment, then, isn't it? <laughs> it? It really is. It really, really is. And actually, we acquired that business ironically from from an older woman who created the website because she found it really hard to to find the men that she was interested in to actually form real relationships with. So we acquired that business uh, in 2013. Now and did a turnaround project of that. We then had started another business called Hopper HQ, which is a planning and scheduling tool for social media. Um, so we started back in 2015. And over the last probably three, four years, that's been the main focus of, of most of the, the team within Town Partners. Um, and along this process, we, sorry, we, we also have a training company called Enterprise Academy and, and another, uh, another business called Waybook, which is essentially a a playbook, a business playbook creation tool, uh, which helps entrepreneurs and business owners essentially run their their knowledge, their systems, their processes, their onboarding and training in a really efficient efficient way. And even though that's kind of a real eclectic mix of different projects, and there's been quite a few things that have come and gone in, in between, one thing we really focus on is about how our our tools and our businesses can essentially leverage technology to have a big impact on, on people's people's day-to-day lives, whether that be their, their kind of dating life or what we're kind of more aligned to culturally as a team to how they empower their team and their processes within their businesses within Waybook. And you mentioned uh, an, an investment arm, and, that, and that's basically because we actually do quite a lot of investing as a group. So we made the decision early on not to go down the perhaps more traditional path of, of raising investment and, and going to Series A and, and, and kind of on that escalator, we made the, uh, the decision to, to be entirely bootstrapped from day one. So we've never taken external funding, which means that, of course, we've moved slower and I definitely have more grey hair than perhaps I should do at my <laughs> age, although not too many still. And, uh, but, but it does mean that within, within the last few years, when, when that's really started to come to fruition, We've been able to run the group at surplus and then actually expand our impact by investing in some some really powerful businesses that we truly believe in what their impact can be. That's really really interesting. I was going to ask you: Is there a com- common approach when you're investing? But it, but by the sounds of it, that is that tech kind of angle. That's that's businesses that can leverage technology in whatever field they're in. And and you also talk a lot um, about sort of lean startup principles. I think mm. you mentioned it earlier on this podcast what do you really yeah. mean by lean startup principles sure so so lean startup principles i mean they're, they're kind of popularized by um the author uh, eric Rees. and if you've not read it and you're looking to start 
start a business, I'd highly recommend reading The Lean Startup. But what I mean by, by Lean Startup principles, which, which all kind of are a bit of a movement now, is when you're starting a business, a lot of people, a lot of time people assume that they have an idea, they have like a, a, a visualize this product, and they are the visionary within their business. So they just drive that product, they just drive that business, they will they will remortgage their house to get product development done. They will, you know, spend a huge amount on marketing, on advertising, all different parts. Um, and ultimately, quite often, this gets to the proof point of whether or not that business is, or, or whether or not that product or service is is desired, whether it provides value to the customers, which is at the actual heart of, of business, right? Providing value to people, repackaging and creating value. Yeah, if you're not doing that, you haven't got a business long well, you, term. You don't have a business, yeah. And and I think that traditionally, sometimes people start businesses with this vision and not looking at customers, not looking at the value exchange, the proposition, and and they will they will spend so much time and money creating this that when it when it finally gets pushed to the market, if it doesn't work, it kind of it's kind of game over. So lean methodologies are almost saying, look. Whatever you think about your business, even if it is the, the most well thought out idea and, and you are so confident and so passionate about it, reframe that idea to not be an idea, but to be a hypothesis. It's almost like a science experiment. This is what you hypothesize a customer might want. Here is what you hypothesize a marketing channel might look like in order to, to drive your customer to your product and to exchange that value. And within lean methodologies, what you actually do is instead of building the product to test it out, you you do you you do small experiments and tests to prove or disprove the assumptions that you have within that hypothesis in order to see whether or not there is that value there to be created, whether or not there is demand for your for your product that you're proposing, whether or not your customers will pay the price that you kind of want or need them to whether you can create your product or service for the price that you, that you might want. So to give you a real-life example, uh, my business partner, James, and I, we started a company called Probox uh, many, many years ago. And this was fitness supplements by subscription. So we thought, instead of buying a big tub of whey protein powder, where essentially it's really cumbersome to carry around with you, it's messy if you want to take a portion out with you, things like that, we wanted to produce individual serving size sachets of protein in a mix of flavors that, that would be delivered through your door every week. Now, we did a bit of research and we liked it enough that if we weren't being lean, we would have just done it. We would have gone through all of the obstacles that we needed to, got a supplier, got packaging, got all of that, basically to see whether or not people, but basically to take it to market to see whether it would work. Whereas under lean methodology, instead of doing any of that, what we did was we created a website that didn't ask for people's feedback but it told them on the website, hey, we're ProBox. We do fitness supplements by subscription. Create a, create a box. So we would drive customers, potential customers, to the website, and we would ask them to create their box. We would ask them to pick their flavors. We would ask them to put in their address. And actually, only when they went to check out and, and pay for the box, we would tell them that actually we, we, we currently don't have the, the availability for um, for the packages in that area, but we'll let them know as soon as it's available. Now, of course, sometimes that can be a negative experience, mm. but what it did do was it enabled us to learn really rapidly about what people actually wanted. Quite often, you'll put a test up like this and nobody will click buy. <laughs> and imagine if you had spent six months building that product and you couldn't get anybody to buy. Whereas what you do have now is you can go and speak to those people and you can say, hey, why didn't you click buy? Why why did you click buy? You can actually see how many people selected strawberry protein over raspberry. So when you're doing your first product order, you know exactly what to buy because you know what people want. And if you need to change your products or service, you can simply just change a couple of words on the website rather than actually having to you know, ship 10 tons of protein to landfill or wherever you dispose of protein uh, and, <laughs> and order in yeah. another flavor. I mean, okay. did, and, did, did, and did that business ever get off the ground or through that experiment, did you just put it to one side? So in that case, uh, we actually got about 200 customers or what we considered as customers, validated test points. 
uh, within the first two weeks of testing. Now, we did that experiment for about, it probably cost us about £150. And, and, and yeah. we knew, we iterated and we tested and we changed and we like did a few different price points. We spoke to the people that, that signed up. And by the way, almost everybody we spoke to was excited to be part of something new. No one was saying, hey, I spent one minute on your website and, and, and now I'm never going to get that time back. Um, they're all excited to be part of something new. And we actually then went to the next stage of testing where we, where we repackaged lots of protein. So we didn't run our own protein runs. Uh, and, and obviously, at this point, you have to do it within line on health and safety and things like that. Uh, we we created some uh, basic packaging. We created some branding because the next thing we needed to test was yes, people will pay ten pound a week for for protein subscription, but we needed to ensure that they would stay with us for long enough to cover the cost mm. of acquisition. Which, by the way, we were able to confirm what our cost for acquisition was from the test. So we we then went to the next stage and we actually ran this as a profitable project for about four months. But at this time. Um, they just introduced VAT on fitness supplements. Royal Mail changed their pricing packages, and we couldn't quite get the product market fit right. We realized that the people who would spend the, the right amount of money on this product in order for the product to work didn't get the value that we were providing with the individual serving sachets. So they might use us for a couple of weeks, or maybe a month or so, whilst they got into a good routine, and then they would just buy a big bulk, which was obviously always going to be cheaper. So we actually shuttered that project in the end. But what was amazing, we did it okay. very fast. We made a little bit of money on it and we had a lot of fun. And, and, and it, just, it just moved quickly and, and we, 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 we learned very fast. And that is the heart of lean methodology. Brilliant. What a great example. And so therefore you, you use though, that lean methodology in every business that you get involved in and you know, be Absolutely. it a startup, be it something that you you buy to look to turn around and change? I assume it, the principles Absolutely. apply across the board, don't they? Yeah, I mean, mega quick examples. We with the, with the dating site, we wanted to put a referral program in there. So if you're looking at a member that actually you think is perfect for your friend, we wanted you to then recommend that person to your friend. Now, of course, there's a lot of technical like play that you can put in there. You need to get the data permissions, everything. There's so much to actually build that. So to test it, all we did was just put a button saying, share with a friend. And when you click that button, it opened up an, an email link where you can just say, it, it wouldn't put in the profile or anything. You could just send to a friend, hey, I've found someone to talk about how she could be perfect for you. And amazingly, nobody clicked the button. Not one person clicked the button. We put it on every profile. Well, I, I think on probably every profile for about a thousand customers. Nobody clicked the button. So we ended up we ended up going around it in a different way. But of course, if we had done all of that back-end development and engineering and everything, we would have lost so much money and so much time. Uh, another very brief example, and I promise I told you, I told you I'm really lost all no, this is great. This is great. I think you've given it some real life examples, Mike, of oh, things cool. you've seen okay. and experienced. They're really good. So please keep awesome. going. I will do. So so Hopper, Hopper HQ is our planning and scheduling tool for social media. We started in 2015, and, and it, it's now the biggest business in our group. We're in about 75 countries. It's got, it's got relatively good growth within the business. It's, it's got a great community around it, and it's a beautiful tool. And what, we, what we've done with that is basically just always been lean from day one. So there were quite a lot of social media schedulers around at the moment, but no one was really doing much support for Instagram in 2015. So what we did was we wanted to focus initially on agencies and primarily for Instagram. So instead of building a tool, which takes years, and doing the marketing, which takes months, uh, my co-founder, James, literally, we, we made a list of all of the things that we think should and could be done differently. And he just created a very basic design of what the, how, how the product would look. And he put that design into a PowerPoint template for me. And I booked a couple of meetings with some agencies in London uh, that I didn't know. I kind of cold outreached them. And I walked into each agency. I opened up my laptop and I said, this is Hopper HQ. This is the tool. It's for your Instagram management. Here's how you upload your content. Here's how you edit it. Here's how you do this. And, and I was showing them through the designs as if it was a live product. 
And at the end of it, I said, how, how many accounts do you want? How many seats do you want? And sometimes people would say, oh, no, it's not quite for us. And the trick, the, the, the main thing within Lean is you just say the ultimate question of why. Why isn't it right? Yeah. And what they give you is absolute gold. They say, well, it's interesting that you've got all of this editing, but we don't actually do editing online. We actually have a designer that does the editing. And then they upload that directly into whatever platform you use. So you say, okay, how do you do that? And then you realize that they have a bit of a challenge of how they connect from designers' computers and they send it to the account managers and then they put it on the, on the platforms. So we then created a really easy way that a creator, uh, sorry, an account manager can link into a designer's Dropbox or Drive or whatever and pull the content straight through. And instead of building that, again, the next agency I went to, I took out the editing features and we just had another slide that showed really strong upload connections. And then they said, yeah, but you know, it would be really interesting if we had this. And, it, and, and we weren't asking, would you buy it? We were saying, buy it. And then yeah. soon after a couple of meetings, people started saying yes. And then you say, cool, well, how, how much? <laughs> and, then, and then you get a high <laughs> price and a low price, and then you find out your price. And then we started, it got to the point I think we went to like five meetings in a row and everyone said yes. And everyone said yes to the price we were saying. And then I said, okay, guys, let, let me get back to you in a couple of months. <laughs> <But that, laughs> let me go build it. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me go and film what we've kind of been talking about. But, but they love that. People love being part of something new. And, and, and like often you want to, you, you should try and seek action over opinion because lots of people always give you opinion, but it doesn't necessarily link to that action. So you almost need to get their insight from an action perspective and then and then kind of bring them into the world of developing this product together. Same with yeah. Waybook. That, that's been a big business for us. And actually, we, we, the only reason why we've been able to run multiple businesses and projects successfully is because we are extraordinarily process-driven as, as a group. So you can come into our business, anyone can come into our business and almost do anything because there's a set of documentation that shows you how exactly to run an event for our dating business or a content marketing campaign for Hopper HQ or even a training course for Enterprise Academy. And we have these documents really, really strong within our business. And speaking with lots of other founders, we found out that actually most people, most business owners have all of these processes, but they're largely in the head and they're not very good at communicating. Yeah, them. and I think that's a big transition for a lot of business owners when they're going through that growth <laughs> phase. And it's where I think a lot stumble is that point at which it needs to come out of the head so and it has true. to be, the business needs to be systemized and processes are needed. That is, I think, in, not, it's, a, it's a failure point for growth. A lot of those businesses continue to go on and create great lifestyle businesses, but they don't always, unless you can get past that third so point, they don't achieve what they could achieve if so they true. could systemize and put the processes in. Is it in from my experience and what I've seen? Yeah, it's, it's so true. And actually, the, the, the big kind of uh, ironic thing is here, it's the founders that get in the way of that business growth yeah. because they just need to get the business out of their head. They, they need to get the business out of their head. So, so firstly, they can continue to focus on new things and creative and higher level tasks. They don't need to keep on spinning the same plates again and again and again. And once it's down on paper, it's so much easy to, easier to communicate that with other people. Now, we, we've done that for years internally, but we've always struggled with um, keeping documents up to date. We've got hundreds of documents on Drive that says, Toyota Warehouse events, updated, master events, list, things like that. <laughs> so so Waybook is essentially a tool that uh, is really easy for anyone who uh, is a business owner or actually a senior manager to almost create all of their documentation, all of their processes and, and structure their business. And then it effortlessly turns it into really easy, simple to follow onboarding and training material. So their team, their new joiners and anything can just seamlessly go into the business, pick up any task, any area, any role, and start executing really effectively. So, so, wow. so for us, we built that based on something we were already doing and then speaking to lots of founders that were having these same problems. And even now, we're still slowly launching that business and, and, and we're doing it in that way. We're, we're being lean. What do people want? How can this be more valuable? What, what are the real problems people are having that, that we can plug with value? So, yeah, 
you teed me up with really? one of my key words there, Warren, with lean, and then and then I spoke for twenty minutes. You're I'm off. gonna let you. I'm gonna stop. Yeah. <laughs> but it's great to hear your passion and great to hear the principles. And as I said just now, I think it's great to see the real life examples. There's a lot of people out there that perhaps talk about a principle or you know something that they've read in a book or they've found out about, but have they actually really applied it? So it was great to hear with your passion that you have for it, your stories about how you've actually applied those lean principles. Um, what was the name of the book again for our listeners if they want to go and find it? It's called The Lean Startup. Uh, it's written Perfect. by Eric Rees. But also there's, lo- there's loads of stuff online now, really amazing communities, events. It's a real movement. Um, so yeah, check it out. Cool. So clearly very passionate about entrepreneurship in the UK, but you've also been and, and worked with entrepreneurs in developing com- uh, countries. Um, I'm interested to hear about some of your experiences and how perhaps they differ to the experiences in the UK, Mike? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really great point. And actually, that's become almost like a passion and interest area for me about how entrepreneurial ecosystems develop, uh, what they're like at different stages, how they develop in different ways. So kind of for context, the thing that you mentioned is the work I, I, I do in, in different countries. And that's largely uh, under the work with Enterprise Academy. So this is a training and development company for uh, enterprise and entrepreneurship. We work with some really, uh, really amazing partners like um, the British Council, for example, and, and DCMS, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, and, and also lots of institutions. And, and we basically package together uh, training materials. Our, our main point of difference is that we, we only really talk about things and get people to talk about things that are actively doing it. So, so there's no kind of classic business school teachers or lecturers. It's all it's all entrepreneurs that are that have executed lean five times. So we're talking about me, and uh, we do lots of stuff in in sub-Saharan Africa, in India, in Brazil, in a few other countries. And back to your point, yeah, the the <laughs> the world's a big place, man. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> enterprise and entrepreneurship is is just so different in so many different places. And I think I remember one of the first kind of real uh, stark differences where I realized how lucky actually we are in the UK um, is when I was working, uh, doing some work in Sudan with with some uh, entrepreneurs. And I was like, okay, guys, what, what are your main challenges? And the challenges they were facing in Sudan were things that we wouldn't even think about here in the UK, where we might complain about internet connections being a bit slow or actually my zoom link is broken and i can't get onto this teleconference they have the situation where they're under extreme international sanctions that if if a, if an economy or, or an industry emerges then there's a high chance that there will be a hundred percent tax imposed on that industry starting five o'clock that day so that so the industry just disappears they're not wow. able to import or export anything which means that actually it it, it, it's an incredibly, incredibly tough environment, but it's the sort of environment that entrepreneurship is essential in order for the country to, to, to survive and thrive. So, for example, I, I've worked with people that are creating a snake venom farm so they can so they can get anti venom for for effective vaccines in Sudan. Work with people who are creating dentistry equipment which is basically made from old household utensils and things like that, uh, just because that's what's available within the market. And, and for me, firstly, you see the difference of, of the challenges of entrepreneurship. But when you see entrepreneurship in so many different environments, whether that be by country or city or region or, or industry, I really this is why I love the power of entrepreneurship. Because it, it shows that it's about kind of pulling things together in different ways to create something new and to add value, whether that be pulling things from a car and things from your kitchen to make dentist equipment, or whether yeah. that means writing code to create a dating site. Like, it's, it's, it's that kind of in the heart. And it's, yeah, it's where you see and seek opportunity, isn't it? And then when you see exactly. and seek opportunity, what do you actually do about it? How do you actually make it happen? That's, totally. that's, that's what entrepreneurship for me is about. Truly, truly, truly is. And um, one thing I've one thing I've kind of learned, well, uh, kind of 
traveling in, in different ecosystems. And, and it's something that I'm still always a student of, right? Like I, I, I go to these amazing countries and, and, and do entrepreneurship training programs, but I swear I learn more than anybody that comes onto these programs. What, you, what I've kind of learned is that entrepreneurship, uh, particularly within developing countries, is often an essential, an essential way of life. So where entrepreneurship for us is often a choice about, oh, do I, you know, do I apply for this, this big four consultancy firm or, you know, go and work in this, I don't know, this restaurant or whatever, or do I start my own business? It's sometimes not a choice in, in, in a lot of these environments, which means that a lot of the things we talk about, almost like the foundational knowledge and approaches to entrepreneurship, some of them are inbuilt, as in pulling together opportunities and, and, you know, the kind of archetypal entrepreneurial characteristics, they are ingrained in the culture of, I would say, a wider set of the population. Obviously not everyone, right? But the wider set of the population of, of some of these developing countries. And, and secondly, what you tend to find is that what people want often, often changes in the environment around them. So in the case of Sudan, for example, there's a huge amount of businesses that without even knowing it are social entrepreneurs because they kind of know that the, the kind of economic system within the country is, is, is challenged at the moment. So they are creating businesses that are there to serve the community. And a, a, a great example, for example, uh, worked with a drone company in Sudan. And the purpose of the drone company was to geomap deserts and plant acacia trees in the deserts around villages to stop desertification, which is where the deserts move overnight and can literally just wipe out, wipe out villages. Now, for them, they know that actually... So the, the, the government might not have the appetite or the resources and, and the villagers and the farmers actually don't have the ability to, to pay for this service and pay for this business. But what they do is they then do some work internationally to fund the initial work that they have. And then they plant these trees and then they give these trees to the local farmers because you can tap uh, these acacia trees, which stop desertification for Arabic gum. And then they sell that in a network market which then pays this business back in the long term. And that is just a phenomenal business, right? right? A phenomenal business model that I don't think many people would have come up with if they weren't in the environment that, that these Sudanese entrepreneurs were in. Yeah. And, and I, that's and a I survival think... instinct nearly, isn't it, that kicks in and, it, and therefore that establishes that desire and that hunger and that way to think differently and to achieve things in a different way it's amazing totally, but but but, but utilizing like the best technology and and utilizing like total total kind of expert business models and stuff like this and, and, and i think i think a lot of uh, the mistake that a lot of people make about entrepreneurship in the developing country is they assume that entrepreneurship is at a junior stage and oh okay these, these people they run businesses i'll go and tell them how to do a business model canvas and things like that that, that's not the case. It's, it's actually business works in a different way and, and they have to think and see things in a different way. Uh, and, and sometimes bringing some elements that work in some environments just bolster what they already know about how it works in their environment. Man, I, 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 I can, I can, I can do these trips and get energy from these people for, like, for the rest of my life. Well, that, that actually leads on. I wanted to cover some personal questions. And the first one was, Actually, Mike, is where do you find your own inspiration? Oh, very good point. Um, uh, I mean, so I've, I find my inspiration and, and energy 100% from people. And, and that's why, uh, I mean, if I, was, if I was to capitalistically optimize my time, I wouldn't do these training trips, right? I, I, I wouldn't run a training company. I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. work with entrepreneurs. And I, I, would, I would optimize towards kind of tech business, probably. I don't know, probably not. <laughs> but, but, I, but you'd but chase I the money. You'd follow you'd the, money, the money, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but, but I do all of that because I, love, I get so much energy and inspiration from other people. And that's not the classic Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. It's actually the people that are just, that are just pulling things together in really interesting ways. It can be on an absolute nano scale. But when you see the kind of passion and intuition and, 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 and ingenuity of, of entrepreneurs all over, that is what drives me to be better. That is what drives me to think, okay, 
like we, we have so much opportunity, particularly within the UK and then on a global scale. What 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 would what would that person do? Or how how can I really, you know, leverage this to to kind of create value for more people? So so I, yeah. I get a lot of I get a lot of kind of value for that or, or, or energy from that. I think personally, my motivations have have definitely changed over the years. When I was younger, entrepreneurship for me, and I think perhaps this was a factor of maybe the media or maybe like traditional understanding of business, it was money. And and I ran a paintball company when I was 18, and that made a, a, a decent amount of money. And success for me would be how much money I'd made by the end of that, that day selling paintball tickets. But I, I quickly kind of went off that, and, and I thought, right, I want to have a social impact. So I, I, I kind of ran into social enterprise, and then that kind of, became less shiny over the time. Then, then I focused on running a business just for fun and I just wanted to have fun. And then I did something else just because I wanted to learn and then just because I wanted to have value. But what I realized over time is that those five things, so making enough money, having a social impact, having fun, continuing to learn and adding value were the five most important things for me and more recently, health and family time and social time is, has become a, a, an increasingly large part of that. But I almost have the this kind of cluster of things, almost as like a criteria for success. This is, I was going to say, is that your to... definition of success? Yeah. And, and, and do you know what's different about this? It's not, so, it's, it's not a point in time. It's not something that I'm, I would work nonstop in order to achieve X amount of money or X amount of impact. It's, it's a balance, right? And yeah. and if I if I can do something in my daily life that gives me a little bit of everything, a, a little bit of everything that stays important to me, and of course that can change what's important to me over time and what I think is right and what I think is valuable. But if I can keep that balance whilst moving forward, for me that's success, that's fulfilment, and, and that's contentment. That's brilliant, and I suppose that I would I would describe that and sum that up as you're living, trying to live your life by some principles that drive success, rather yeah. than you know ju- rather than just being goal orientated. Because there's a challenge yeah. there, and we've probably all seen it that we set ourselves a goal, or we've seen people in business set themselves a goal. They get there, they achieve that, and it's kind of well, what next? And it's exactly. flat, whereas actually exactly. that idea of having some values or principles that are really important to you that is the that dictates the way in which you live your life, in which you operate, and the way in which you run the businesses, the kind of businesses you get involved in, and why you're doing it, has a fulfilling long-term purpose, doesn't it? And it doesn't set. And along the way, you'll create some wealth, and along the way, you'll have some experiences, and along the way, you know, you'll meet some great people. But it's part of life's journey, then, isn't it? And one of the things we talk about, Mike, at Evolve, is about holistic success, and it's that balance of personal and business success and i'm really passionate that not enough business owners think about what success means to them as an individual they just chase the business success and as a result you see a lot of business owners out there that are desperately unhappy personally although on the face of it if you met them and you bumped into them and you talked to them purely about their business you'd think they lived the life of kind of riley and they had it all so true. Yeah, it really, it really is true. And I think, I think that I, I, I constantly, personally battle consistently, actually, about this whole: um, do you, do you kind of reach for the sky and push, 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 or, or do you kind of find balance and, and kind of achieve what's right for you in the moment with, with a view for the future? And, and I don't know if there is an answer, and I don't know if actually they are separate sides of the spectrum. I think we can be ambitious and we can have goals, but we can almost be, um, and if, if you're not unapologetically focused on one goal, one end, one future, then, then you almost owe it to yourself to find out what else is important to you and incorporate that in your, your life. And I think actually this is one reason why entrepreneurship is so important to me, why, why, why it is this passion, is because... I think it's one of the very few endeavours in life that gives us the full control of being able to to choose what we do and how we do it and 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 and, and why we do it, you know. And and, and I think that entrepreneurship actually, if, if if harnessed correctly, can give us that can give us that opportunity. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. Mike, it's been incredible to speak to you. It's great to hear some of your own personal story and journey, some of your own personal principles that you, you know, that are dear to you. Absolutely fascinating. You know, I'd, I'd read a bit about kind of lean startup and the principles, but to hear your passion and give us that insight on the podcast has been brilliant. So Mike, it's been great. Mm-hmm. To it's have been you really as a good guest. Thank you, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, and also thanks for thanks for dealing with my monologues as well. And I'm not always the uh, I'm not always the easiest person to interview. So thank you very much for having me. Well, hopefully, our listeners will think I balanced that off well. Mike, if anybody wants to learn more about you or get in touch with you, where can they find out more about Mike? Sure. So anything online under Mike Bander, B A N D A R. Um, so on on Twitter, LinkedIn, and all of the usual channels. Um, if you just hit me up, I'd love to. I mean, you know, I love to talk this sort of stuff. So if anybody wants to talk anything lean startup, effectual thinking, any of the businesses, then then uh, yeah, Mike uh, Mike Bander uh, across the internet, you should find me. Brilliant. Thank you, Mike, and good luck awesome. with the new business. Thank you very much. Have a great one. I look forward to hearing more episodes soon. I really enjoyed that conversation with Mike and I hope you also thought that it was a great discussion about entrepreneurship. I love what Mike said about entrepreneurship and his way of building and creating something using the lean startup mentality. I really believe that that creativity that Mike shows with his logical thinking is what defines him as an entrepreneur. Mike is clearly someone who thinks a lot about the meaning of entrepreneurship and this translates into an obvious passion for it. And it's great to know that relatively young individuals like himself are at the helm of mentoring and supporting entrepreneurship in the UK as well as the developing world. If you haven't yet done so, then please do visit EvolveMembers.com where you'll find some great content as well as information on our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, webinars and events. In relation to those webinars, we've got some great webinars lined up in the coming weeks and all of that information can be found on our website, evolvemembers.com or on our social media pages. I really hope you've enjoyed the podcast and if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the podcast and perhaps catch up on the episodes you might have missed. There are some truly valuable insights there on a range of topics and you're sure to find some that inspire and get those ideas flowing. Thank you once again for listening and from all of the Evolve team, we wish you a great week and hope to see you again soon.